0: Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. As always, we'll thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and the flavor that uh, pushes the cast forward. So Bud, got a little sweet, got a little sour to jump into tonight on the recruiting trail. I have some other information uh, as far as potential roster moves incoming and uh, have an awful lot of listener questions to get to. So Patrick Payton, talented, long, kind of twitchy defensive end from uh, Miami, commits to Florida State. That is a, uh, that's a nice little get to, uh, to add to the class. That is indeed.
1: Uh, Patrick Payton, really kind of an interesting recruiting saga. So he, he's a guy, you know, he was committed to uh, Nebraska earlier this spring and ultimately decommitted. When we talk about one of those guys that in the spring, I was pretty sure Florida State could have taken had they wanted them. I believe he was one of those guys. Uh, if you recall the, those conversations back then, back before this team would, would go on to only win, you know, two or three or, or, or four ball games. Yeah, so four star kid, top. What do we have him here at twenty four seven Sports? Top three hundred fifty, I, I think it is. Uh, so you know, pretty pretty solid commit here. One of the highest rated kids in your class now. Uh, yeah, top number number three hundred twenty eight in the composite. Actually, number one fifty in the national rankings for just 24-7 sports, so not including ESPN and rivals. Uh, so, why is he rated that high? Let's go ahead and get into that. Uh, he chose Florida State basically over Nebraska and UCF. Um, there was some thought Miami might push, but Miami is pretty full right now, and uh, and they also will probably end up taking a graduate transfer at the end because they're, they're probably going to lose Jalen Phillips to the draft. So, now for that Miami talk, let's go ahead and get into why Peyton is rated so highly, and, and really, it is—it's the upside. Okay, so it's the upside of a guy who is six foot five and two oh five, which is skinny. I mean that—that that, that is he's—he's he's skinny. There's no doubt about it. But the, the burst, the closing speed as an edge rusher, uh, the, the ability to bend the edge. Um, he has some moves, not not a ton. He's mostly a speed guy right now. Uh, speed and length, though, is is a deadly combination, and uh, he he has that in spades. Why is he not like a top hundred kid? Really, it, it's for the most part, it's that two hundred five number. And and if you look at photos of him, you do kind of wonder, okay, you know, how, how big can he get? Certainly, two hundred five is is not going to be the end game here for for Patrick Payton. I've seen him before in person, and uh, he's skinny, but his frame is. I think he's got enough frame to to put on additional weight. But I don't know. Like, Can he be 270? Can he be 260? I, I highly doubt that. Can he be in that 230, 240 range and be that speed rusher I absolutely think he can do that. He's been very productive at the high school level. 17 and a half sacks last year. Off to a you know, big time start already this year. And uh, was first team all day uh, in, in 2019 as well. This is a big get for a team that lacks speed off the edge, man. Like this would be a good get pretty much regardless in, in any year to to get a, a guy who's, you know, top 350 player in the in the country, you know, no doubt four star type. But it's really a a very good get for Florida State at this time in their rebuild because this is a like a glaring need. They need speed off the edge. They don't have anybody on the team right now who can get it, who can really bend the corner.
0: No, I mean I think you uh in our Sheet here we have it well and concisely stated. What what is he? He's real quick, long, and he's got great takeoff. What is he not? Ready to contribute immediately. I mean, he, he's skinny, skinny. Like you said, this is a nice guy. He brings a skill set that is not otherwise there. Uh, but this is a guy that you're gonna give to Coach Storms and see what comes out the other end of the tunnel. 24, 24 months later. I mean, uh, you know, and I'm not saying you won't see him on the field, but the idea as to what ultimately you have with Peyton is with uh you know two years in a in a college weight room and two years of getting college nutrition and then being a guy that you know as we kind of laid out painfully or or truthfully or some blend of both you know you're building this program for 2022 right now and this is a a great ad that uh with the with the right amount of molding gives you a chance to have a, a difference maker at the acc level and there's not a ton of those in this class so great pickup and uh Hey, look, in, in two weeks, you've added a kid from Columbia High School in Miami Northwestern. That's, that's great stuff for a staff that uh, we don't know, you know, necessarily knows all the uh, nooks and crannies of college football. Uh, so, if, In the state. Yeah, yeah, excuse me, in, in, with within state recruiting. So if nothing else, you're getting two of the better programs in the state, creating a presence, and uh, Peyton's a really nice dad. So that, that's, that's the
1: good news. The bad news is uh, Malik McLean tonight, uh, your receiver out of IMG, Originally from Mobile, Alabama. He he actually decommitted. Uh, I think this came as as a pretty big surprise to everybody. We we, we knew Old Miss had had been recruiting him, but you know, uh, up until recently, I I don't think anybody thought that he was really at at risk of flipping. He's had a very nice year for IMG. Um, McLean, one of the higher rated players in FSU's class. Uh, So that's, that's not great. I mean, he's a guy with, with, with size and speed. When I described him earlier, I thought he could actually grow into sort of a jumbo receiver or kind of a, a flex tight end with with some long speed. And we'll have to see if, if FSU tries to take uh, more high school receivers in their class this year now than they had originally planned to, to compensate for the loss of McClain. We already knew they were saving a spot for Destin Hill. If you've been a longtime listener of the show, you'll recall that Destin Hill used to go by Destin uh, Pezon. So now now he's last name is Destin Hill kid out of, out of Louisiana. Um, I checked over with, with FSU today, and they actually have some, I don't want to say confidence, but optimism that they can still get Hill in, in the boat. And that's surprising to me a little bit because of the fact that we know Florida's on him and some other schools are, are on Hill. And I think the main reason why the, there's some, some optimism over there about it is because of of who is recruiting Hill. And that's, that's David Johnson, Co- Coach Yak, who you know, has pulled upsets before on the recruiting trail that people didn't think he was going to pull, including recently at Tennessee, where he beat out you know, Georgia and Clemson for, for kids. And that was surprising. It was like, damn, look at, look at what Jeremy Pruitt's doing. So given that his, his home stomping grounds are, are that New Orleans area uh, and his long-term relationship with Hill Normally, I think given the season FSU has had, it would make total sense to write off Hill. And I'm not, this is not Bud Elliott telling you they're going to sign Hill, but I am telling you they have a little more optimism about this than I expected to hear from that staff today. And then there's also the possibility that they could go and they could offer a, you know, Sadu Treor or Davis Malinger, one of those type guys. We've already spoken about Quincy Magwood, who is committed to Kentucky, Kentucky firing at a grand, by the way. I don't know if you saw that. Really kind of sucks for, for Coach Grant, and I, I, I don't really know what Kentucky wants there. I, I understand, you know, they want to be able to have a, like a functioning passing game, I guess. But their offense is kind of fits what they do, and they routinely win seven games, which is literally outlined in Stoops' contract as the goal. I mean, he gets a guaranteed extension if they get to seven games, and uh, so yeah, so not not I don't know, like on on the on balance, sort of evenly split. Recruiting news, you, you get you get a player at a major position of need, but you also lose uh, a player at a major position of need. And
0: uh it fishy fans can't have nice things this year, man. It's just it's it's it <laughs> just can't <laughs> happen. You can you have know, about three or four hours of optimism on the recruiting trail and then oh damn, one of the few prospects that you know, I, I think didn't he just become a four-star today uh with two four sevens ratings, uh McClain, Uh or am I wrong about that? I mean, three star, four star, whatever. That's that's one of the rare dudes in this class that has a has a body that is of a, you know, top flight college football player and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That one, that stinks. That's tough. I mean, I know he's from Mobile. Uh, and, you know, IMG is not necessarily the same in-state uh, type of representation of a high school of a quote unquote traditional high school, but that's a, that's a tough loss at the same time. If I'm a wide receiver and I watch Florida state and I watch uh, Ole Miss, I'm, you know, I don't begrudge the kid. Uh You know, one one looks real exciting and is putting up all kinds of points, and one's been pretty damn frustrating to watch. So I hope Florida State can can crawl back in there. We'll see. Like even when FSU looks good this year, their passing offense still looks like crap.
1: Right? Like the only time this offense looked good, it's been basically when they were running, you know, option from the gun, not passing the ball. So there's no
0: proof of concept as far as this passing offense, with the exception of what happened at Memphis. Can't blame wide receivers when uh, you know a, a distant cousin of the wing tee is the only time that you've looked uh, attractive playing offensive football this year. So, uh, we'll we'll see Mackenzie um, Melton, something that we talked about last podcast. I know there's some some chatter of optimism out there. I, you know, I mentioned uh, I can't remember if it was last podcast, a couple podcasts ago, whatever. This is real kind of macro, and I'm sure this applies to every fan base, but particularly Florida State. Something I've just witnessed. You know, there is this great. Want to think that everybody that pops in the portal is going to ultimately sign with Florida State? Florida State's going to get in on them, whatever. And I know like one person put in a crystal ball for Milton uh, either yesterday, earlier today, whatever. And the response on social media was as though the kid was you know packed his bags and was on his way to Tallahassee. Maybe we'll be wrong on this. You know, I I don't. I haven't felt the optimism that maybe others have shared. So uh, we'll see about that. There's certainly some. Some rumblings that if the if the quarterback in Coral Gables is is to go pro that that's going to put them in a place uh per, per perhaps the driver's seat for this but uh but I'll, I'll let you talk on this but I'm I'm not sure we've necessarily felt a uh, a change since we last discussed the subject matter. Yeah,
1: man, I I I don't think Florida State believes that like it's imminent that they're getting Mackenzie Milton. My UCF people don't either, right? I know FSU's in contact with them, as we said. But last uh, last Thursday's episode, they're in contact with him, and they definitely want him. I think they're sold on on the medicals and 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 on on him, you know, looking really good in practice. But I I just I don't get the impression that he has to make a decision here in the next two three days. If you're McKenzie Milton, it would be smart to wait it out, see what other situations arise, and then make your decision. And kind of find the best fit for you. If he he does want a chance to go to a winning program and a good offensive line, well, that's kind of strike one, strike two against the Knowles right there. They don't have either of those things right now. And and even if he comes, they're not going to be a winning program, you know, next year at least, during his time in Tallahassee. Now, some positive stuff. A, FSU does have a depth chart, which is enticing at least at the QB position. You would only have to beat out two guys who have you know a, a scant few number of snaps at the college level, uh, you have literally gone up against Mike Norvell's offenses twice. If you're McKenzie and know what those thing, what, what those offenses look like when when, you, when when Norvell has it humming, so for McKenzie, I think there is you know more proof of concept for Norvell because he actually went against those Memphis teams and un- understood how they could score points uh, than there is for your average high school kid, you know, who has, hasn't seen Norvell's offense in person. Unless they watch Memphis, which they probably did not, but yeah, man, like who knows what happens with with King at Miami? Who knows what happens at a number of other places? If Mackenzie Milton ends up with better options than FSU, then I don't think FSU is going to get him. If he doesn't end up with better options than FSU, then there is some familiarity, at least scheme wise, of what they run, and I, I could see it happening. I just at this point. I I don't get why he would rush into this. It's not like like she's going to tell him to, you know, you got seventy two hours.
0: All right, some uh, some other news out there on the transfer portal is the name Samuel Williams is uh, somebody that is bouncing around social media uh, for the last forty eight hours or so. This is a pretty decent sized offense tackle prospect out of ULM. It doesn't take a whole lot to uh, improve this offense and. Uh, Love Taylor demonstrated the value of, of providing just adequate play uh, on the line, and I'm not going to tell you that Williams is going to come in here and be a second round pick or something like that. But he would be a nice addition, a kid that I think the coaches have high degree of confidence that would uh, be a positive force within the room. And if you can get this kid, we're not going to do an instant reaction or something about it. But it would be a it would be a nice addition in a place that Florida State, you know, dearly needs to continue to improve.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he's an intriguing option. You know what I mean? I They've not offered him yet. I Like, the size and the length are impressive. Um, his grades on the various sites are bad against pretty bad competition, too. And so that that's not, you know, really encouraging. Um, I did talk to a guy in personnel who told me he thought that the guy was uh, soft, not physical, doesn't bend, uh, and he's not athletic. He's just long and big. Yeah, uh, and that he really doesn't know that
0: if the kid can play at the ACC level. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's all that could be true. And he can still and he can still be a nice addition, right? Uh, when compared to some of the other names, exactly in that room. the point. That's that's the problem, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, like, okay, I, my thought was, okay, is he better than Jalen Goss? Is he better than than you
0: know Chaz? Probably so. Yeah, Goss, Goss and Neil are the two names that I went to uh, immediately. Yeah. So all those dudes get a decent amount of snaps this year. I mean, that, that's just kind of the reality of the situation. Like I said, nobody has any aspirations that you're going to come in here and turn this kid into a you know second or third round pick or something like that, but uh, could be a, a nice add to the room and still be limited when it comes to uh, to some of his physicals. By the way, do you know that only half of FSU's class has ever been to campus and met with the coaches? I didn't know that. Uh, that is a higher number than I would expect. Uh, I would have guessed maybe somewhere around thirty percent, but that's kind of still kind of demonstrates this weird year, doesn't it, man? It's kind of telling and kind of kind of hits hard as to, you know the relationship aspect. And I I know that that to some people sounds like we're trying to create excuses. It's not. It's not. I mean, when you think about your own, we don't all have to. You know, run four or five and, and have four stars next to our name to extrapolate part of this experience. Think about if you're fortunate enough to go to college, think about committing to go to or deciding to go to, uh, you know, UGA or Florida State or Washington Lee or whatever it might have been and having not seen the campus, having not gotten a feel for, uh, you know, the culture there and everything else. It's just a crazy, crazy situation. And you certainly, you know, with how the uh, recruiting calendar has gotten accelerated and all the interaction with these kids that you have when they're sophomores and juniors, et cetera, to to have a transition staff, to have a transition staff that doesn't have, uh, you know, a lot of overlap when you're talking about some of the schools that Florida State traditionally recruits against. uh, And and then to not have the kids familiar with the coaches, that's going to make for a a hell of a climb, a hell of an uphill journey uh, when it comes to class number one. No doubt.
1: All right, so uh, something with, with a lot more certainty is our certainty that, that the team at Legendary Home Loans, Shannon and Chad, are an awesome combination. I got my home loan and my refi through those guys. I'm pretty sure we hit 120 ba- based on the email Shannon sent us uh, this morning and, and yesterday. Uh, 120 Noelcast listeners who have decided to get their mortgage or their refi through the Legendary team at Hamilton Home Loans, 844-FSU-LOAN, 844 844- F-S-U loan. Give them a shout. Tell them NOLCast sent you. Talk a little Noles, You know, Just kind of commiserate on this season. With that, let's go ahead
0: and get into some of our listener questions, man. All right. Listener questions. We start with the first question is from Chris. Uh, we've got a strong barrage from Chris. Chris and Christopher coming out of the gates here. But uh, Chris Snow asked, do you expect any last-minute commits uh, or early um, as we approach the early National Signing Day, bud? Anybody kind of flying under the radar that you could see Florida State getting involved in and that maybe hasn't otherwise been openly associated with them?
1: Yeah, I, I wonder if they're, you know, if they don't try to take a, another corner in this class. Uh, receiver would be the other area that, that I, I, I would take a look at. With, with, as we mentioned earlier in the show, Hill, Malinger, Treor, uh, maybe Magwood at, at Kentucky if they're able to pull him in. Uh, but also offensive line, you have Austin Barber over there. At Trinity, is is Chemo going to sign early? Is he going to stick with Florida State? Is he is he going to flip to LSU? That's FSU's current offensive line commit, Chemo uh, Macianole. Who, by the way, like if your name literally has like basically breaks down to make it null, the staff should be able to hold on to you. I, I feel like that's just destiny. Uh, but at, at this point, who knows what will happen there? If they're not able to get Chemo, m- maybe they go ahead and greenlight the offer. Uh, to Austin Barber, the offensive tackle. So I, I would look at maybe the offensive line, certainly receiver, uh, defensive ta- defensive line, and then corner, or, or the spots there to watch. I do not expect him to take a high school quarterback, at least not in the early signing period. If somebody emerges in the states that are not playing football until the spring at the high school level, I could see that. Uh, Chris E. wants to know, if we were to land Milton, would he be more valuable due to his on-field talent or as a source of positive momentum in what will be a critical period of recruiting transfers for Florida State? I think on field, man. I don't know. My face there, I I just don't know how many other guys in college football really know who Mackenzie
0: Milton is. Yeah. I I also wonder if you're looking for kind of like the the Jeff Luck of the class or something like that, that maybe that needs to come more from a high school level, from a, a level where guys have an idea as to kind of played against him, seen him at seven on seven, et cetera. I don't know that you'll get that from a a transfer, although obviously we're talking about kind of a somewhat of an unknown landscape here. And Chris, I I think it's a damn good question. And it's a good point. And obviously this program needs a a shot in the arm uh, from wherever it can get. But uh, I think kind of the, you know, the the guy that gives the staff real validity and gives it some cachet on the trail, uh, probably needs to come from South Georgia or the state of Florida and be kind of a known high school uh, product or Hey, look, and this isn't just me talking because the kids from Atlanta, if you hold on to Hunter, dude, that is as big of a recruit as Florida state could sign in a long, long time. So uh, look at the kid there from, uh, from Northeast Georgia. That's a guy who's going to be a hell of a cornerback. And also I think what caught 18 touchdowns, 20 touchdowns, something like that this year as a wide receiver That is a ridiculous athlete, and would be a significant statement if they're able to hold on to that kid. There's
1: no doubt he he is like arguably the best player in the country. Uh, By the way, speaking of Hunter uh, Lee, Hunter uh, is a guy for you know uh, Blount High School, Eight Mile, Alabama. He's been committed to Auburn for quite a while. You know, there's some rumors that he's you know maybe a little more wishy-washy than than his committed status would say. What we'll see on that. you know, I, I don't love him quite as much as some rankings do, to be honest. I, I think there's some questions about his motor, um, and and his his want to in in games. And I don't know if you can if you can really teach that in somebody. Uh, but he's another guy to watch out for there on the defensive line. Uh, since you mentioned Hunter, that kind of jog my memory. Jog my memory. But yeah, I I, I agree with you. Um, I I don't think that you're going to have a whole lot of guys lining up to want to play with McKenzie Milton. In fact, I I think if you asked like current college football players. I bet you less than half know who he is. He hasn't played in two years. When he did play, he played for UCF. That's not a popular team nationally. He's a very good player. I don't know if I told this story or not, but we were actually at the Elite 11. Well, it would have been before he got hurt. So, but after his first big year, this would have been the summer before his, before the last year he actually played. And we were out there and there was a couple NFL scout guys out there and we were talking and, and just watching and it was him. Him to, uh, who else is out there? Uh, these They were in college by this point. They had come back as as college counselors. So, I think it was like him to, uh, maybe Jake Fromm was out there. I want to say Drew Locke, but I feel like Locke might have been a year older. I don't, don't you kind of shooting the breeze with, with with these NFL scouts. And we were watching. And then they all agreed that the one thing that Milton did exceptionally well. Because they didn't think he had a great arm. They didn't think like, you know, sure, he's a good athlete, but he's not like freakish at, you know, athletic. And he's not big. I mean, he's he's a small guy. The release they just thought was was extremely impressive, like even by guys who are NFL scout standards, just like the very, very quick release. The, the time it takes from decision being made to ball leaving his hand is is really qu- quite exceptional. And th- that's not something that I think would, would change. Uh, with,
0: with his injury. So if FSU can get him, that would be a, a, a huge blessing for them, certainly. Next question comes from Christopher. Christopher states, in the last months, there's been a ton of talk about Florida State's precarious financial position. We're seeing a social media movement. We've also seen a push from the boosters to increase donor numbers, not unlike Clemson's $10 campaign. Starting at under 10,000 this year, Mike Alford has stated publicly a desire to return the mark uh, of its previous high of 13,000. We know Florida State still has some issues financially with that number of donors. Assuming that we start to return to some sort of pre-COVID normalcy in 2020, my question then would be, what kind of donor numbers would Florida State need to see annually to, in order to be able to make meaningful changes to facility upgrades, scholarship move, endowments, etc.? He says some nice things about the podcast. Uh, Christopher, we certainly appreciate your support. Thank you, man. Yeah, so, no, I mean, I've, I've been thrilled to see... The uh, social media movement over the past ten days or so about becoming a donor. Uh, we'll simply reiterate what we've been saying for two years now or so. If you listen to the Nullcast, if you have a emotional investment that has you listening to our podcast and two or three others, then you should be a donor. You know, I mean, you should you should contribute seventy dollars if nothing else to have a another touch point with this program that you seemingly have a massive emotional investment in. I don't know necessarily, Christopher, and, and I'll ask around. I don't know that there's like a magic number uh, that's going to give Florida State some kind of uh, clarity as to what it can immediately do. But look, I mean, I, I think the goal should be 15,000 people. I think that's doable. Uh, Florida State Florida State definitely has its challenges. And, and Bud and I try to be as honest and frank with you when we talk about those. But let's not forget that this is the same program that two years ago had 62,000 people come to watch a practice in April. I mean, it's still a program that enjoys a lot of support and certainly has a large electronic fan base. It should try to leverage that in uh, in as many ways as possible. And I'll cut my uh, monologue off here shortly. But the one thing that I've always been critical of the boosters and I would love to see Alfred place a focus on is you don't necessarily have to tie it to a parking spot. You don't necessarily have to tie it to, you know, the ideas of a guy moving two rows up and six yards closer to the 50 or something like that. Uh, There's a large swath of people in this fan base that may attend one game every three years, one game every five years. Uh, There needs to be a little bit of a better connection with those type of fans and to just kind of create venues uh, in which people can support the team without expecting uh, you know, to move to a different parking lot or receive parking passes or whatever else. So, uh, I'll be fascinated to see the way that Alfred and his team try to uh, engage the fan base. And by all accounts, uh, they're off to a real strong start. You know, maybe uh, may, maybe
1: tie it to a polo, right? Like, hey, like like you, I, I'm not gonna be able to go to games. How about like a really nice looking Nike Florida State polo with like like a booster patch or or booster emblem on it, right? And and the year, and each year. You get a new one, you know, and that, that's something that you, you can visibly wear on Fridays when a lot of these offices that, you know, around the state or around the country really have your you know kind of wear, wear your college colors. That, that's a really cool thing to rock in the office, right? Stuff like that can work. It doesn't always have to be tickets. Tallahassee is not an easy place to get to uh, for, for a weekend. So TJ asks, and this is a good question. Uh, Do you foresee any problems for those kids like Webb who played and opted out but aren't transferring schools? do you think there would be any negative effects coming back? So a couple of different ways we can attack this. Number one,
0: has Webb actually said he's coming back or did Norvell and then basically just say they expect him back? Cause yeah, I think it was just Norvell talk at this point. I don't, if I've, if Webb has said that I've missed it, I'll put it this way.
1: Yeah. I, I will tell you all, I am operating under the assumption that I'm going to give Webb credit. I'm just, I'm going to assume that he intentionally made that statement the way he did and left it open-ended maybe to see what other schools will contact, him. you know? and and figure out because the transfer portal is coming. Uh, I think the idea of him going to Auburn, by the way, that rumor out there, unless Tank Bixby is not going to be healthy next year, Webb ain't starting at Auburn. He's not that good. He's he's a fine player. He's a good college player. He doesn't have that top-end speed. He's not, yeah. Uh, Tank Bixby is a better player than LaDamian Webb. As far as negative effects or problems, by rule, you really shouldn't be allowed to discriminate against these guys. And I don't think this staff would. I mean, if you have somebody who says, hey, like, I had a COVID family situation. And I opted out. I want to come back. They, they welcome Dennis Briggs back with open arms. I don't see why they wouldn't with, with Damian Webb. Uh, maybe some teammates won't understand it. But I don't know, man. Do you, do you think around any, any negative effects here? I guess, will they and should they is different questions.
0: Yeah, I think, honestly, I think we would have to be familiar with the situation at a level that we're not uh, to really know. I mean, like, is Webb or others not engaging in, in workouts? Is he not, you know, are we going through summer and it's seen as this kind of limbo period or, or spring rather, and it's seen as kind of this limbo period, you know, I give Webb some credit. He's got some capital that other players don't (laughs) on this roster. And that is that he's played really fricking well in game situations as a teammate I think you're probably going to give somebody a little bit more leniency than that. I mean, Webb, at times, has looked like uh, one of your two or three better pieces on offense. So if a kid needs to get his mind right and decide what he's ultimately going to do and if that means that he's coming back. Also, Webb is not one of these kids that, uh, you know, these guys took official visits uh, at Florida State with and at other schools with and kind of came up with in the high school uh, game, he's just somebody that transferred in from a Juco last year. I don't know necessarily uh, that there would be the relationship there with some of the kids on the team as to you know really kind of judge him from considering other options.
1: So I, I agree with that. You want to take uh, you wanna take Austin's question here?
0: Yeah, Austin's got a uh, question for us here. He says, can you both talk about the transfer process? You mentioned how kids will put their name in the portal and within twenty four hours they've committed elsewhere. How does this work exactly? I get players are familiar with coaches who have previously recruited them, but how are schools able to line up these transfers before they've actually put their names in the portal? How the process actually works. Before you're contacted by an
1: outside source, you are supposed to put your name in the portal. You don't do that by by tweeting out that I am putting my name in the portal, although that that certainly can kind of chum the waters to, to make people known that you are wanting to transfer. You have to go to compliance and you tell them, "Hey, I want to put my name into the portal." And then I think there is, I think it's seventy-two or forty-eight hours. I'm trying to remember what, what the actual rule is uh, to where the school has to kind of it's like a cooling off period, basically, uh, for uh, for you to put your name into the portal. And then at, at, after such time, they they have to put your name into the portal unless you you know sign the forms to to not be you know, to kind of rescind your request to go into the portal. Once you're in the portal, the school can cut your financial aid for any future semesters, right? So if you're not good and you overestimate how good you are and you jump into the portal, they don't have to take you back, which is kind of a little known thing, but it's going to become more known this year for sure, given all these guys that are jumping in the portal. In fact, we had 30 guys jumping the portal today. Nationally, not not from Florida State. Don't, don't panic. Uh, so I'm not sure they have 30 guys left on this team. Now, how does it work that players somehow tra- like go in the portal one day and announce their transfer the next day? The reality is that there's all kinds of tampering that all schools are doing nonstop. I mean, FSU is looking at, at other rosters right now and saying, man, hey, if this guy starts, I hope we can get this kid as, as a transfer because of we liked him in high school. And we, we, we think he'd want to come home, be closer to home, blah, 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 blah. Like they're, they're planning on, on these contingencies. There's all kinds of back channels. I mean, the the high school coach is, is an easy go between the school can contact him and ask about the guy who's currently in school. They're not supposed to contact the kid who's on a roster already, but we know it does happen. Just you just go through third parties. Um, and most schools out there. Have a guy who's responsible for going through the portal every single day and basically pulling all the new names in the portal, cross-referencing those names against the files that you had on the kids uh, out of high school or out, out of the junior college ranks or, or wherever the guy was last in. You know, looking at any kind of scouting you have, pulling any kind of any kind of video you have on it, um, and this is where the schools that are, are very well endowed financially are going to have a big advantage because they're going to have. When I say portal departments, that that seems kind of broad, but you know, have one or two guys who are dedicated to, to just the portal and just scouting, you know, other teams basically constantly and, and keeping the temperature, uh, because sometimes speed is the name of the game, figuring out if you want a kid quickly and offering that kid is, is, is a very big deal. So, uh, that's, yeah, uh, that, that's kind of how that works. There are also like, and Ingram and I both know one of these dudes, but. Like there's also famous dudes who basically uh, are brokers, I guess, like ju- like brokers for the junior college scene. And I, I see you smiling. You know what I'm talking about. I, I know the guy a little bit better than a group does, but um, certainly they're kind of junior college brokers who are now in the, the college transfer game as well. Uh, and I also mentioned high school coaches, like private quarterback coaches factor into this big time. If you want to get like a high profile Quarterback transfer. There's a pretty good chance you're going to have to pay off his his private quarterback coach, or some not maybe not you the you the, the college coach will, but somebody is going to have to make that arrangement. And additionally, you're probably going to have to
0: be pretty tight with him already. It's a handling fee, definitely. Uh, yeah, just as we all sometimes get for sure uh, as we go through life and purchase that of what we want easy and natural segue. Uh, MadisonSocial.com backslash NullCast uh, has a hell of a deal for you that will uh, help alleviate some, some holiday angst. If you're not sure what to do uh, for Christmas or, or uh, Hanukkah or any of the uh, season that we're approaching here, would encourage you to visit MadisonSocial.com backslash NullCast. Uh, this has literally only been live for a couple hours and, and one of our uh, listeners has already taken advantage. $100 in gift cards uh, purchased and you get an additional fifty dollars you can do this in ten dollar increments so ten five uh, you know ten for a friend five for you. Um, it's a great deal it's unique uh, to the NOLCast. I don't think uh, Madison Social has anything else like this currently available again go to madisonsocial.com backslash nullcast. you're doing an incredible thing in supporting a business that desperately needs uh, you know gift card purchases and and outside support in general. And you're also securing a, uh, a nice little kickback for yourself. So a great situation for all. And we would encourage you to go and take a look at uh, the Nullcast page there at MadisonSocial.com.
1: All right. Uh, so let's get back into this. Lee asks, if you could combine any of the previous coaching staffs from, say, 1975 to the present, who would you choose for your head coach, coordinators, and position coaches? Okay. In the interest of time tonight, because we want to get to all these questions.
0: Can we cut this off and go head coach and coordinators? <laughs> Why don't we do offense and we'll come back to defense or something like that? Or we could do defense and come back to offense on the next episode. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. So
1: head coach wise, I'm going to pick Bobby Bowden. Um, two national titles. I think like the longer we go to this, the, the longevity and him managing the program as well as he did for as long as he did is you know, just a, an incredible accomplishment. And, uh, I mean, what more do you need to say? The, the the winningest coach in the history of college football. So, I have a sneaky one for offensive coordinator. I'm not sure. Are we, are, are we going defense or offense?
0: I forgot. Uh, yeah, why don't we do offense? If nothing else, I'm interested to see where we fill one of the positions because it's not as though we've got a great number of options. So, running back coach, I think there's two pretty clear options. Who are you going with? I'll either go with Billy Sexton or Eddie Grant. Uh, yeah. Are two great options I don't think people appreciate how good of a recruiter Sexton was now granted he was recruiting at Florida State's peak you know peak power, uh, but he that was a guy who did some work on the recruiting trail for you uh, back in the day and you know Eddie Graham is Eddie Graham I mean, he's, he's one of the better recruiters out there and certainly played a massive role in that influx of talent that was really able to turn this roster. I, I'd probably go Eddie Grant uh, if you make me choose one of them all right receiver's coach. Good luck. I'm going to hand this one to you. He can't touch the offense.
1: He, he he can't call plays. Am I crazy if I say Jeff Bowden? I mean, you're not real
0: rich for options, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. But, like, like it's it's not Dawsey. So far, it's not Dugan's. I mean, he was FSU's receivers coach from 94 to 2000. Now, 01 to 06 was a disaster offensively. But 94 to 2000, they, they had some pretty damn good receiver play
0: they weren't lack they weren't lacking for draft picks no they definitely weren't lacking for draft picks I mean they were literally choosing who they were recruiting to. um so That's fair. it's uh it's tough yeah i mean i'm I'm certainly not comparing myself to some elite recruit but I did go to the Bobby Bowden camp when Bowden when jeff Bowden was a was a coach and I will put it this way there were coaches that were appeared way more inept than uh than jeff did when it went through you know working a, a session so. You know, I heard some decent stories on the trail about younger Bowden. So, uh, again, we're not not quite as, as rich when it comes to, to quality options here. Who is your offensive coordinator? Tight end coach. Oh, oh, sorry. Go, 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 go ahead.
1: Tight end coach. I th- I'm probably going Cuban coffee here. Uh, if I'm just for the recruiting, yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't disagree with that, especially because Florida State never really utilized the tight end that much under Bowden, well, like 75 to present. Certainly, they had some good tight ends. They had some guys who made the NFL, but they weren't throwing 70 passes a year to, to the tight end uh, dur- during this time. So I'll, I'll go ahead and go. Uh, yeah, I, I think Coley for the recruiting would would, would make sense there. Um, we, we may be overlooking somebody. I'm trying to remember who, like, who the tight ends coach was in the 80s, but uh, we'll, we'll have to go back in the archives for that. This question was sent to us, I think, pretty shortly before the show. We, we very much
0: appreciate it. It's a pretty cool one. Who is your offensive line coach? I mean, I, I'll say Trickett. I, I think, I, I know it didn't end great, but Trickett certainly did some work in the first uh, half decade that he was there. And uh, I don't think you're going Jimmy Higgins. I mean, in two years, I could see a say in Atkins. I just don't know that I'm, I'm listing Alec Atkins after a season. I, I'm trying to think who, who was before Jimmy Higgins? Before Rick? No, hell no.
1: And I, I I like Atkins a whole lot, but no, you're not picking Atkins before. Uh. Tell you what though, I think there's there's somebody who is probably a, a very worthy challenger to, to Coley that we have forgotten, Ronnie Cottrell.
0: Yeah, equally. Um, yeah, I was gonna say equally effective on the trail. Equally effective on the trail. Elite recruiter. I mean, we should we should probably. I don't know, man. I, I'm. I mean, that was kind of pre-my time, but <laughs> the, the impression that I've gotten of that period is that uh, Ronnie Cottrell knew how to get it done on the trail, even to an extent that, that uh, James Piccoli might you know be appreciative of his efforts. So, yeah, I think that's a good pull, but I'm, I'm going to officially change my, my vote. All right. Uh, by the way, with the offensive of line, I
1: don't hate Trickett, uh, the the nomination. He kind of worked some miracles for a time. And then, you know, Jimbo should have gotten rid of him several years before he left. And ultimately, that was kind of one of the issues. I think he didn't want to have to fire his friend, although he didn't take him to Texas AM. So, uh, how about this? Brad Scott was your offensive line coach for at least several years. I mean, he was what, 90. So, did Hagens take over for Scott? Yeah, he did.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Brad Scott, his final year was 92. So that would I think it would have been like 86 to 92, maybe. They don't actually list a uh, <clears throat> they don't list they don't they do not list an offensive line coach in 88. They just have a graduate assistant for the offensive line, which I feel like is unlikely that they wouldn't have had an offensive line coach. They just in the media guide, it looks like they just totally forgot to. So if you guys recall who was the offensive line coach in '88, uh let us know. We're we're very uh very much open to that. All right, offensive coordinator. There's a couple options here. I mean, if you let me get real cute, I'll tell you Jimbo Fisher. No, I was going to say that. I was like, well, yeah, do, do you want Jimbo for that?
0: Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, almost, I almost answered that more uh, emphatically. You want him over Ricked? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Okay. I mean, I think Rick was a better play caller than people give him credit for, and he was also fighting Bobby Bowden, telling him to run a reverse every three plays. Uh, but I, as an OC, yeah, uh, Jimbo's Jimbo's tough to pass on.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. I, I was I was thinking about about either Jimbo uh, or Richt, uh for sure. So that that's a fun question. We'll, we'll come back and we'll do we'll do the defensive side of the ball. Uh, spoiler: alert, I'm pretty sure who I know I'm, I'm going to go with as the defensive coordinator. But there could be some other interesting picks there on the defensive side, and it allows us to uh, you know to to talk about that quite a bit. Who else do we have here?
0: Lee, that's a. I just want to thank you again. That's a that's a hell of a question, man, and uh, unique. So uh, appreciate it. Corey writes, uh, "What's up, my dudes? What's up, Corey? I'm still riding high on the four loco fueled Coastal Carolina win over BYU. Cruton season is upon us in Tallahassee, which leads me to my question. As uh, great ambassadors of Florida State, uh, both uh, you, Bud, and Ingram have been selected to choose two quality transfer athletes." The catch, Bud Ingram, you have to go toe-to-toe WWE style with the player's current position coach. What athletes are you picking and do you get the win? Okay. So wait, are these the position coaches
1: at Florida State? Or are these the position coaches at the transfer players' current schools?
0: Yeah, I originally read that as the school that you were trying to take them from. but um... He doesn't really want us to
1: pick like random assistant coaches across the country that we want to fight. Right. Uh, Corey, that's funny. <laughs> All right. Who, well, hold on. Who is the UCF coach now? Housley looks like he was a quarterback on Oklahoma's team in 2008. He's pretty damn tall. Cause I, I got a photo of him next, next to Josh Heupel and he's got probably two or three inches on Josh Heupel who is, is not small. Um, yeah man i don't i don't uh i don't like my chances here
0: yeah i don't i don't know that i've got a great great answer for you here uh position coaches are still spend a decent amount of time in the weight room and unfortunately Corey and the rest of our listeners i don't think i'm getting the win that allows us to uh to booster the roster so uh right, are there any fSU coaches you know you could take <laughs> like is is that how we're supposed to read this question <laughs> what a great way to <laughs> To uh, endear ourselves to those on the coaching staff, uh, I mean, like, because I I know there's there's a couple, <laughs> like there there's a couple that I, I I would take I would take myself over, like Marv is definitely a no, no, nope, no. Nope. He gets your hands on him, or he gets his hands on you. It's over. Yeah. Even though
1: even though Odell's had the knee surgery, I still don't, really don't want to scrap with Odell now. Dillingham, I I, I mean I I'm, I'm I'm betting it all on Bud Elliott there on, on against like if, if we're going head to head for a transfer recruit. But Elliott University is coming out ahead on that one, um, so I guess if that if that's how Corey if that's what Corey meant for this question,
0: I'll I'll, I'll go with that. Uh, we'll move on to to Josh's uh, before we you know talk about fighting anybody else. Uh, Josh, as you both mentioned last week, that this is a three to five to even four to six year rebound. And both of y'all's opinions, what is the definition of the program being rebuilt in three to four years for the team finishing eight and four, nine and three, and by years five or six finishing ten and two. Uh, flirting with twelve and zero in the CFP, or darn close. How would you define the rebuild and its end result? Uh, I would say, kind of like you—you you reach the rebuild when you're,
1: you kind of kind of reach the peak of that rebuild when you're back playing at that that top ten level. You know, whether that's ten two or, or twelve and zero. Uh, I, I yeah, I mean, I think you should be able to get back to that top ten level, and you know, in, in a special year, you know, threaten for something a lot better. So yeah, I, I would say that's that's probably the goal. Certainly, the goal is not to go eight and four or nine and three in in year five and six.
0: Yeah, I mean, I will consider Florida State back to being um, a competent football program the year that they win nine games. And you know, I, it sounds like Bud and I have a slightly different definition of this, different definition of this. You know, and then then we'll see. Obviously, this this program is not built to win nine games, or at least is not uh, desired. Uh, to win nine games of the of the fan base. But that is kind of the a rather high step that you have to take before you then jump into a little bit more of the rarefied air that Bud's talking about, or certainly flirting with, you know, a season that ends with zero in the loss column. So uh, get back to nine wins, beat an in-state rival, uh, show consistency in the conference, and from there, uh, start grabbing some of these kids that otherwise you're not getting on the recruiting trail. We will thank our friends at Congruity. Congruity has been uh, nothing but a fantastic asset in addition to the Nullcast, and we would encourage you uh, to give them consideration as you try to optimize your business. Uh, Congruity is a meaningful, outsourced HR for companies just like yours. Congruity strives to create value for their customers uh, by delivering a truly unique client-centric experience that helps them accomplish all their desired goals, inspires performance, and engages their employees on a more personal level and fosters a positive culture. Reach our friend Matt Lewis at 844-247-4100 or Knowles at CongruityHr.com. That's N-O-L-E-S at congruityhr.com. So Cole asks, uh, hey guys, thanks for all the content this
1: year and keeping us up to date with the many changes that occurred this year. Obviously, if it would have been, have been possible to see this pandemic and crazy football season coming last year, who would have just kept Willie and, and all that came with him? My question is, what improvements do you all see with Norvell as the coach? I know he is having uh, to tear the program down to the studs to build it back up, i.e. transfers, opt-outs, and decommits from top recruits. Uh, I, for one, lo- love seeing him holding a player accountable. but would love to hear your thoughts on what changes he has made to give us hope for the years to come, assuming that we somewhat get back to normalcy. Sorry for the long question, but we'd love to hear uh, y'all's thoughts. Absolutely, Corey, and yeah, appreciate y'all. You, you, you asking that question, yeah. So I, I'll lead off, I guess, and and we can just kind of ping pong back and forth. A couple, I I think that accountability is is definitely one. Uh, we, we we've seen him not play guys for things that are maybe w- would have slid un- under previous uh, administration. Certainly, you know, the latter years of, of Jimbo or you know during Willie's time. So I, I would say accountability uh, is is certainly one. He's trying. He's trying to establish that culture, whether it sticks don't know yet.
0: Uh, look, I mean, you know, every coach is going to talk about this, but Mike Norvell kind of went out of his way to talk about the importance of special teams and damn, if the special teams, particularly in the first six to eight games or the first six games, uh, have improved dramatically. And that's, uh, you know, something that, that he places a focus on is aggressive and telling you, he places a focus on, and then goes out and backs it up with the performance on the field. So that's, uh, again, uh, the guy is, you know, just because he, he did good things with special teams doesn't mean I'm sitting here writing him a blank check. Uh, but I do think that if you're going to note his successes, uh, that that's something that he talked about and that's something that he very much followed through with. I will also say organization uh, in terms of
1: practice uh, somewhat, but definitely inside the building, right? And And having a staff moving, I would say, more in one direction. Uh, and and being more organized from from the top down, I I, I think that, I think bringing in Bruce to be your chief of staff was was still a smart move. Something we're not going to talk about every single episode. We said it was a smart move, you know, at, at the time. I, I think that that was a smart move, uh, and, and continues to to pay dividends there. So, yeah, I would say in, internal organization uh, would would and attention to detail, I think, are are two things that are are certainly improved over you know. Over, over, over the last staff. Um, the thing is, we're just not. There's not a none of these things that we're saying, other than special teams. Which thank, thank you for bringing that up. Are really improvements on the field. We could say they've adapted to to what they have talent wise on offense to the extent they can. So I think that's an encouraging thing that they said. Okay, shoot, we we really can't pass protect and we can't do this. We can't do that. Uh, and they basically went spread option <laughs> right after six quarters of football really haven't seen that so far on the defense i I don't know that that fuller and his staff are getting that kind of buy-in you know from their players and coaches and whatnot yeah man like there's not a lot to smile about right i'm not going to sugarcoat it for you Uh, i think if almost almost anything you'd want to list other than what we listed maybe maybe ingram has another one would be things that he did at memphis or at at prior stops the reasons basically why why you hired him
0: this has just been a, a really weird year Yeah. Uh, you know you've also seen flashes of them being able to scheme guys open now you would expect that in an offense to some extent but uh they've done a good job with that i just don't know that they have the you know the quarterback yet uh, that's able to take advantage of of some of those situations and that's not just a a knock on uh on some of the quarterback play i mean they they've schemed guys open and have wide receivers drop balls that hit them between the numbers so uh it would be interesting to see what uh, the offense looks like when they're able to Take advantage of some of the better opportunities that have been created.
1: Ooh, by the way, uh, did you see this? As of uh, twenty minutes ago, uh, Arike Gilbert uh, is considering leaving LSU. He's uh, um, homesick, and uh, LSU is fighting to keep him. Twenty four seven Sports on the report. Ah, uh, that would be something. He is now. I'd like Florida State's not going to get him, but uh, man. Rick Gilbert is like the number one tight end prospect in the country, r- regardless of class. Basically, mm-hmm. I would
0: guess UGA there. Homesick, probably UGA. Although you know, I don't think Georgia Tech's involved with the kid, but they've done better on the recruiting trail than than some would have expected them. But yeah, if he's if he's moving home, I'm thinking that uh, Kirby might be cooking something up. Certainly. So, so uh, last
1: question here of the night. Uh, Brett asked. This is kind of a fun one. Bud Nagrim, thanks for all the great shows. Earlier in the year, you spoke about Norvell's coaching style and games that he is aggressive and plays to win. Do you think the players and recruits understand that as well? I think they probably do now, or at least they, they sense it. Like, do they understand the math behind it and, and why? Like, do they understand that punting is actually the, the risky decision and going for it is the safer, smarter decision? I, I don't know if they get that. Do they understand that sometimes a decision both increases your chance of winning and your chance of getting blown out at the same time. I, I don't know if, if they understand that, but I think they generally have a sense of, okay, coach is going forward. He wants to be aggressive. He, he wants to, you know, have us have us win.
0: I don't know. Man, what, what do you think on that? I think also the idea of, <laughs> of necessity has maybe clouded as to whether or not he's really that aggressive, you know, Uh, As far as like, oh, well, you know, you're going to have to score this many points. You don't have necessarily a traditional offense that you can really lean back on. You know, maybe, maybe from a perception standpoint, you're doing some of that fourth down stuff uh, because you just know that your chances are, are ever so limited in general when it comes to being consistently successful on the offensive side of the ball. So do you think players and recruits understand that? I don't think recruits necessarily understand that. I mean, I think recruits judge a program from a much kind of broader perspective uh, than than some fans realize. Um, it's a good question. It's a real good question. I mean, i I do certainly think that there's been a small level of education amongst the broader kind of sidewalk fans and and those that are sitting in the stadium. and I, I certainly, think that some of the fourth down math and some of the things that he's done with that has been uh, noticed by the the broader fan base, but I don't know that that's necessarily something that a recruit would, would notice or appreciate or give a damn about really. All right. Uh,
1: that pretty much wraps it for tonight's show. If you guys want to give us five stars on Apple podcast, we, we certainly appreciate that. Make sure you subscribe. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're on Google podcasts. Help keep us the number one Fort State podcast in the land as you guys do each and every year and I, I, I want to get the 4,000 Apple podcast reviews so if you could give us a five star really say what you like about the show we'd very much appreciate it uh, what else you got for tonight anything?
0: No man just uh, always enjoyed it and uh, if you do get a chance to leave us a review it is uh, gratefully appreciated see you next time bud this has been the Knollcast. the Knollcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith music by Judson Wright And produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.